0: So you could you have the text. You, you, everybody should have had a packet when they came in. Uh, little It's got the, the verses in the back and everything like that. Um, if you haven't been with us before, or if it's been a while, that's okay. We, I just want to catch you up on where we have been and what we've been doing. Um, Since I got here, we've been taking Wednesday night to really do a kind of a deep dive into the knowledge of God and sort of going through um, in a systematic kind of way all of the things that we know or that are revealed to us, that are given to us in the scriptures about who God is. And so we started way back a little over a year ago um, talking about uh, or actually right at a year, who who God is, um, what He has done, how He has revealed Himself to us. We started with the Scriptures, and we, we set them up as inerrant and infallible uh, the Word of God, and so He's given that to us as a means of getting to know who He is. And through the Scriptures, the things that we learn about God is that He has several, He has many attributes. Some of which are what we call communicable attributes—things that He gives to us and He shares with us—and other things that are incommunicable attributes—things that He keeps to Himself that are exclusively God's. They don't, they don't belong to us. He's not sharing anything. Uh, like that with us. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. We don't get those things, all right? But there are things like love and justice that he does share with us. Those are communicable attributes of God. And without him sharing those things with us, we wouldn't know anything about him. And nor would we be able to achieve any of these kinds of things. It's all from God, uh, every good and perfect gift. And so then we went into the created world that we uh, see, that we live in, and how God created that. So we took a, a little deep dive into Genesis 1 and 2 and talked about uh, ways of understanding uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and the creation of the world. And, th- and then we, talked, we spent a good deal of time on his created order, starting with the unseen realm and so we dealt with angels and demons and all kinds of uh, crazy stuff, uh, <laughs> normal stuff and crazy stuff, all at the same time. We dealt a lot of that with a lot of that. And now we're coming out of that. And we're now talking about the scene world around us, and we're beginning with the creation of humanity. And what we are, uh, what we are going to be, we'll get eventually there. Um, so tonight, we're specifically dealing with uh, being created in the image of God and what that means. And what that actually means for us. Not just what it means, but then what are the implications of that? And what does that do to the, our, our worldview? How does that change us? Um, so let's start at the very beginning here. Uh, we, we have this phrase in Genesis 1 26 we're going to go ahead and read that uh, it says uh, you, your verses are in the little packet there if you want to turn there that's the ESV if you have your own Bible that's fine you can read from that as well but I just wanted to provide a copy of the ESV text so it says then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock And over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, before we even dive into being created in the image of God, here is this address from God to whom? (laughs) To, to, To blank. He says, Let us make man in our image. It's plural. Right, is rightly translated plural. Who is he talking to? Now, there have been... I, I have the feeling I know what everybody has heard growing up is who, to whom he's talking. Who, who, who is he talking to? The, the, the Trinity, right? right? This is a, a conversation amongst the triune Godhead. That's one of the possible solutions that's been proposed. But I would say it's not by any means the earliest proposal. So um, the, there's four options, really, for how people have understood uh, God talking here, okay? And so we're going to go through them, but uh, the first there is that this is a plural reference to the Trinity. That's the one we're probably all most familiar with. This is a plural reference to the Trinity. Um, the second, this is a, uh, the plural is a reference to God and the heavenly court of angels, it's a conversation between him and the sons of God. Uh, same sons of God that we talked that we spent a good deal of time talking about the last few weeks. Um, the same sons of God that appear in uh, Job, in several other places throughout Scripture in Psalm 82, Psalm 89, uh, and uh, etc. Um, the plural, uh, the third one, the plural is an attempt to avoid the idea of an immediate resemblance of humans. To God, All right. So God says, let us make man in our image, meaning, well, he doesn't mean that we're going to be a carbon copy of God. And so that's the, that's why he has this conversation. Let us make man in our image. There are more more than one that kind of we're made after we're patterned after is the idea. Um, the fourth is the plural is an expression of deliberation on God's part while setting out to create humankind. Now, that, all that being said, three and four, option number three and four, have a modicum of support. Very few people have held these opinions, but they've been proposed, so I thought I'd put them down. Um, but the vast majority of, of people have held to either... Options number one, option number one, or option number two. Either that, this is a conversation amongst the triune Godhead, or that it's a conversation of God and His uh, the sons of God. Now we're going to go into a little bit of why that that matters. He um, says if the plurals of verse twenty six refer to the sons of God, then verse twenty seven makes it abundantly clear that these other Elohim are watching God's creative act of humanity and are in no way, that should be no way, not now way, participating in it. So um, let's read verse 27. I want to show you how this would, if, if, if verse 26 is talking about the sons of God and that the plural there is the sons of God that he's talking about, Then verse 27 is meant to clarify who does the creating act. Look at verse 27. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, what happens, it would seem, if verse 26 is talking about the sons of God this council and he says to his council let us make man in our image it makes clear in verse 27 that still the one doing the creating act is God not the council right does that make sense so the council is there sort of watching the scene unfold if indeed that's who God is talking to so it's not as though by saying verse 26, oh, he's talking to the council. It's not like saying, well, the council created humanity in any way. That's, that's not what's going on. Those are created beings and God is turning and now creating, uh, creating humanity. And so they're, they're simply watching the creative act. Now, most Jewish commentators and virtually all Jewish commentators take option number two. So understand that what God is doing is speaking to the council, saying, let us make man in our image. This bled into the church in the early first few centuries, and many of them took what was said what was said by Jewish commentators as true in the church as well. That's the common interpretation. However, there were several church fathers. We have the epistle of Barnabas, and we also have... Justin Martyr. Now, neither one of those, just keep this in mind, when I say early church fathers, none of those wrote the words of Scripture, okay? These are people that some of which were discipled by the disciples. They were kind of the next generation following the apostles. They wrote tons of commentary on Scripture, which is really helpful because from whom did they learn? (laughs) They learned from the apostles. So, We have enough of the New Testament in the church fathers that we could reproduce 99% of the New Testament without having one word of the actual New Testament because of how much of the New Testament they copied down. So the church fathers, um, the epistle of Barnabas, Justin Martyr, both of which prefer option number one, that what God is doing is speaking in amongst the triune Godhead. And he's saying, let us make man in our image. Um, now, if option two is true, if he's speaking to the council, the sons of God, and he turns to uh, then create humanity, this creates some problems in the text, if that's the opinion you take. Because um, it, it says... Uh, it, it, well, let me fill in the blank here. It creates uh, some problems for what it means to be made in the image of God. The first thing is... Are the angels made in the image of God? Right? That's one question that we have. Humanity potentially would not be the only thing made in the image of God. That's still potentially true, whether that's what that means or not. But that would be what that means, right? That it the angels would be made in the image of God. Um, another is verse 27. When you look at verse 27, he says... Uh, So God created man in whose image? Singular, his image. Now, we talked about over the last couple of weeks that the word God that's being used there, the word for God is what word? Elohim, Elohim, which is plural, is a plural form of the word Elohe. So Elohim. Elohim. So you could say, okay, well, it could be gods, right? In the image of God's, He created them. But look at verse twenty-seven. It says, "God created man in singular His image." Right. So that tells us that the when we see God appear in the next phrase, that that is also a singular person that it's referring to, and not uh, God's. Go ahead, David. Elohim, They're Elohim. Elohim. Elohim, yeah, they're Elohim. Yeah. That's right, yeah, that's right. The, con- the, the, the uh, pronouns that are used in the rest of the verse give us a pointer that that is referring to a singular God and not gods. Yeah. So that, that would be one problem that you would have to overcome. Just one second, Doug. Uh, that you would have to overcome is, uh, is, uh, is, is that... There's singular pronouns used, and it would seem that the most natural translation then would be in the image of God, he created them. So are they all of a sudden not created in the image of the councils, even though he said let us? That would be one one hurdle that you would have to overcome. Yeah. Doug? In other parts of the scripture, it says that Jesus created the, he was involved in the Yes. So uh, all things were created through him. Yes, absolutely. So um, l- let me be clear here. If you took option number two, which is that he's talking to the divine council when he says this, uh, that doesn't negate the doctrine of the Trinity by any stretch of the imagination. It's just commenting or asking, is this verse specifically Trinitarian? Is that what's implied in the verse, that this is a Trinitarian verse? And some would say, no, I don't think so. And some would say, yes. Now, the people that say, um, that say, yes, that say this is this is talking to the divine council. Why would they be? Why would humanity be made in the image of the divine council of the sons of God? That's a that's a good question. Why why would God need to turn to the divine council and say, I want to make humanity in our image, our collective image? Why? What purpose would that serve? I think the answer is actually in um, the the passage itself. So what it means to actually be made in the image of God. We have to ask that question. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And so there's also been many ideas. We're not short of ideas on what it means to be made in the image of God. So lots of ideas have been proposed. I've listed the most prominent ones down there for you in that, that first point under that question. Um, one is intelligence, that we're thinking beings, um, that we have a reasoning ability, that we have emotions, that we have the ability to communicate with God. There's a dialogue there that we're self-aware, we're sentient, that there's uh, we have language and communication ability. We uh, There is the presence in us of a soul and a spirit or both. Um, we have a conscience. And then last, we have dominion over the earth. Now, If you look at the text of the Scripture, He says, look at verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What is the purpose of making humanity in the image of God? That they would have dominion over the earth. Well, we've talked, we've spent a good deal of time, and I'm just making a, a point that I don't necessarily agree with, just so that you can kind of see the logic behind it. Uh, if he's talking to the sons of God, we, we spoke about the council and their role in the world, particularly in the unseen realm. They have a ruling capacity. There is some sort of authority that's been given to them um, to have dominion. And so when he says, let us make man in our image, obviously God has dominion and this divine council also has dominion and he says let us make man in our image and let them have dominion All right so there is uh, <laughs> richard's eyes are as big as saucers um, so let let them have dominion so what would be set up here is a dominion over the unseen realm and a dominion over the seen realm that we would be the creatures that have the dominion over the seen realm right you can see where the logic unfolds and why it would make sense that that's the case. Kathy. Well I have thought of it as body, mind and soul. Yep. Body, spirit, soul. Yep. Jesus, Jesus is body. God's yep. body and spirit. Yep. So I right, I mean this is more complicated than yeah. that. But that's what I Yeah the 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 one of the big uh, that that that's a common interpretation. That's even one of them that I've listed there. Uh, presence of a soul, spirit, or both. Um, one of the problems with it being like body, soul, spirit. Well, look inside the Godhead. Right. You have God the Father. You have God the Spirit, and you have uh, Jesus Christ, who is uh, God the Son, who is who is bodily. But at the at the, the time of creation, he's not bodily. He takes on flesh, right? So he's pre-incarnate here. So it's not that there's a body in the Godhead at that moment, right? So it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't necessarily have that strong of a parallel when you think about what's happening in Genesis 1 and how early we are. At the same time, it's possible. I mean, when it comes to being made in the image of God, um, the, I think some of those things are, are possible. And what I think the actual conclusion that Scripture is going to lead us to as we walk through some of this is when you look at that list, the correct answer is yes. We don't need to take one and say that one <laughs> or, or take two and say, well, it's those. But to really look at all of them and say all of these together make up humanity. Every last one of them makes up humanity. And that has to go into the definition of what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, there's, there's a. I, I think the way the way that's uh, most helpful to think about this that there was a um, being being made in the in the image of God comes from this second point here. Uh, royal kings and pharaohs. That language comes from royal kings and pharaohs of the day who were said to be the image of God. And this would most closely align with the having dominion view. However, it's much broader than that. When you look at um, what's happening in the Genesis story uh, to create uh, humanity in God's image, it seems as though humanity is given what would amount to a kind of vice regency where they are allowed, we are allowed as humans to go forth in the world and represent God to the created order. That's both in taming the garden. Uh, It's clear that Adam and Eve have that responsibility. They're told, do that. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, right? So we, we tend to think of Adam and Eve being put in this vast region Called the Garden of Eden, and then and just, hey, look, live happily, and they're like propped up under a tree, like with their feet kicked up, eating apples all day, and they're from the tree of life, and they're just they're they're hunky dory, everything's great. That's obviously not the case. God curses the ground and it's a change, right? So now Adam in the, the change is that when he works the ground, now it's gonna be really hard. As before, he was still working the ground, but it was easy. Why? Because they're put in a patch of grass that's subdued. And he's basically God saying, take that and multiply it through the rest of the earth. Finish, right? And so humanity is given this ability as being part of the image of God to be his vice regents to go forward and, and really image him throughout the rest of the world, be his representative. If you're a vice regent for the king, you speak for the king, you sign documents for the king, you you everything you do is in the king's name. If you say it, the, ki- the king said it. It's the same thing. That obviously makes Genesis 3 a huge problem, doesn't it? H- here you are, as the image bearers of God, supposed to go forward and speak for God and do as God does. Here's Adam, as the, the, or both Adam and Eve, as the image bearers. We, we find out much later in the law that there's some unclean animals, right? One of those unclean animals happens to be a serpent, right? So here's Adam and Eve supposed to tame the garden and... Genesis 3, here comes this unclean serpent. And everybody reading that text, that's much later, right? They have the law. They're reading that text going, what is he doing? Talking to a serpent. All right, that's a bad thing. And so here Adam and Eve is supposed to be the vice regents of God going forward and being his image. And, well, they take matters into their own hands, don't they? We'll spend more time on that next time. But... um, But so I I think that makes the most sense. That it's it's not just it it is having dominion. In the text, it is having dominion, but there's all kinds of things that go into that that make up what it means to be the image of God. And I think reasoning ability, intelligence, emotions, the ability to communicate with God, self-awareness, language, communications ability, the presence of a soul or a spirit or, or perhaps both, um, uh, the conscience, all of those things go into what it means to be made in the image of God. Why wouldn't it? What sorts of tools would you need to go forth and be His image on the earth? Well, I think you would need all of those things, wouldn't you? In one package. Because there might be some animals that have I'm willing to concede to some of you dog lovers, all right? Or some of you animal lovers. I'm just I'm willing to concede that the dog is genuinely happy. All right? I'm willing to concede that he has some kind of emotion like that. That's fine, all right? But he doesn't have all of these things. Right? Even if he does have happiness or sadness and he's not just trying to get a bacon strip out of you (laughs) even if he does have all of that uh, he doesn't have all of these things in one package does he Uh, all of these things are necessary to be the image of God so I don't necessarily see the, the the reason why we have to divide them up and pick one all right I think all of those are true of humanity and and that goes into what it means to be made in the image of God go ahead Doug Hold on to that thought because we're coming to it right at the end of this. It's part of the implications, yeah. Yeah, uh, there, there's some authority, there's dominion, there's stewardship over the over the the earth, essentially. Yeah. That's right. There may be parts uh, or, or snippets of some of these things that other creatures get. Uh, for instance, the ability to communicate. You know, there's monkeys that can do sign language. There's, you know, parrots that can, that can talk and things like that. But those are, I mean, we, we recognize those as very, very small. We could have a planet full of monkeys and, be, and leave them alone, and they're never going to go to the moon, all right? <laughs> just, it's just never going to happen, okay? Um, Well, it's possible. Um, <laughs> it depends on how, you, again, like we go back to the last few weeks, it depends on how you want to read some of those passages. Job 38.7 is, uh, is pretty clear that when God laid the foundations of the earth, and it seems as though prepared that for humanity, the sons of God rejoiced. So there was at least, at some point, an indication that the chorus of angels that are around at the sight of the created order coming to being, particularly humanity, there was a rejoicing over that. Say that again. Oh, he said, is it possible that the sons of God, when they see that they aren't the chief image bearers, they aren't the only ones who have dominion over, every, over creation, that, that that's part of the rebellion? And them sort of leading uh, humanity down a down a dark and twisted path. Some of you, if this is your first time here, you're going, "What in the world are they talking about?" I get that, so I understand. We podcast this. You might want to go back and listen to the last few weeks. <laughs> what in the world's going on? Um, but but it's possible that there's some dominion envy, maybe uh, that, uh, that that could be. I don't know how much that's given to us really in scripture. And those those are the kinds of things that I go. Hmm. Who knows? We'll find out one day. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Um, But I think all of those things, regardless of what you think of that or regardless of how you understand that, it seems like what's happening with humanity is that we're going forth as God's representatives to the earth. And we're stewarding creation. We're, we're having dominion and rule and authority over creation. And there are some necessary tools that we need in our toolbox in order to do that. And all of those things go into that. And I think that, that most closely aligns with, with kings and pharaohs of the past who were claimed to be made in the image of God. And so th- those are the people that have all the necessary tools to rule over us and they have things that we don't have. right? Um. So many of these abilities uh, become challenging definitions for what it means to be made in the image of God because some of them exist, we've talked about this, in other creatures and some of them have, uh, have then made the argument that being made in the image of God is all of them together. So um, I think that's probably the most, most likely uh, solution to this, this problem. Um, the repetition of, word, of the words image and likeness, this next blank, in Genesis 5, 3, probably indicates a multitude of factors going in to making up the image of God, to being made in the image of God. Uh, we were made in his image and likeness. And then uh, the last point of clarification here is that both sexes, male and female, are made in the image of God. So neither one has exclusive rights to being made in the image of God. Now, how is being made male and female? We know God doesn't have sex, so he doesn't have a a gender. Though he's referred to as male pronouns, that's not referring to any gender-specific things. And so um, what does it mean then that male and female are made in his image? Well, if you look at the context, it says... Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So there's two pieces of it. There's the dominion piece, but then that's not the only command that he gives to them. He commands them, Be fruitful and multiply. They're creating in some capacity, they're using materials that he's already given to them, but they're creating. Well, what has he been doing for the last chapter? He's been creating, right? We, we obviously see in Genesis chapter 1, if we see nothing else, a creative God going about his work and creating a, a family, creating children, right? And so that's exactly what he gives to them. The, the, the image that he gives to them is that in being male and female to, coming together, they could uh, reproduce, they could be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So even though God isn't a sexual being, it's still um, you know, incumbent on us to be fruitful and multiply. So does that make sense? Questions about those things so far? Well, uh, you could, well, some people argue that we've already done that. Say again. Some people argue that we've already been fruitful and multiplied and filled the earth. Yeah. And who would those people be, Doug? <laughs> Okay? Uh, and who would those people be? Sorry. Who would those people be? Well, a variety of people that believe that Where do you think most of that worldview comes from? Sorry. Where do you think most of that worldview comes from? China. <laughs> she said China. <laughs> Um, Let's go to the implications because I think this is going to address some of those some of those implications. Um, So implications of being made in the image of God. Uh, I think there's some significant things that are very important that we understand about what it means to be made in the image of God. And most of these come from or all of these have, have scriptures attached to them. Um, first of all, the lives of human beings are of more importance than the life of other living creatures because mankind is made in the image of God. Um, look at the passage of Genesis 9-6. Uh, God tells this to Noah uh, after the ark. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. He's setting apart man, as different than the rest of creatures, you run over a goat, you owe your neighbor for that goat. You run over a human being, you're on trial for your life. Right? There is a difference between running over a goat and killing a man. Okay, and that's plainly set out. There's uh, there's more importance placed on the life of a human being than on the life of other things. That's one massive implication that the Scriptures actually give to us. We don't have to work for that one. That one's just that one's free and easy, right? Um, the second one, every man, no matter his eternal destiny, has an inherent dignity on the basis of being made in the image of God. He has an inherent dignity on the basis of his being made in the image of God. James 3 9 um, James is talking about taming the tongue. And he, he, he's pointing out a, a, a duality that's really bad here. He says, with our, with our tongue, with our mouth, we bless uh, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So he, he's pointing out that this individual that you're cursing is made in the image of God, and you shouldn't do that. That's a bad thing. You're praising God with the same mouth that you're cursing men. We, we can't do that. He says in the, in the following verses, Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. This should not be. right? We can't do this. But the grounding for which you shouldn't curse your neighbor is the fact that he has inherent dignity and value and worth because why? He's made in the image of God. And that extends to all humanity. I think this is one of the, the beautiful pieces of our own constitution. Right, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Um, and that applies to all skin, all, all races and creeds. It doesn't matter what their eternal destiny is. All of, all people made in the image of God are, have inherent dignity because they're made in the image of God. Yes? Um, next, third one. We are creatures who are morally accountable before God for our actions, and our lives belong to him. Corresponding to that accountability, we have an inner sense of right and wrong that sets us apart from animals who have little, if any, innate sense of morality or justice, but simply respond to fear of punishment or hope of reward. Look at uh, Romans 1, 18 to 20. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And it, it points to the same uh, the same truth that we're getting at here is that He has revealed Himself in some ways to humanity. There, is a, there, is some, there are some attributes of God that should be plainly seen, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, um, things like that. But then there's another passage in Matthew 22:19 19 to 21, where Jesus is asked if they should pay taxes. And it's, I think it's a very interesting passage. Jesus says in Matthew 22:19, 19, Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Meaning that just like the coin is stamped with Caesar's image, you are stamped with God's image. And so therefore, if you're rendering to Caesar the coins, you're rendering to God your life, Because he stamped his image on you. So therefore, you owe your life to him, right? So we belong to him, we're responsible, accountable to him for our actions, and he has given us some sense of who he is and right and wrong. Jeff Bell. What, ha- what do you mean, what happened? Like, if we already had a knowledge of good and evil, then did we gain more knowledge? Or is there some new knowledge, like of nakedness, that came from that? Um, w- uh, y- yes. I think I can answer to both of those questions. <laughs> um, there's clearly a knowledge that to eat from the tree is wrong, right? So there's at least that sense that I don't need to break this rule. But the guilt that comes with the eating from the tree is not known. Hence, when they eat, they realize they're naked. Does that make sense? So there's a guilt and shame and sin that comes along with the actual partaking of the fruit and the breaking of God's law that they are unaware of. And so um, they're aware of evil at that point. Their eyes are awakened to evil. Not necessarily their eyes are awakened to a, a choice and what they should do. Does that make sense? That that's born in them. And we'll spend a little bit more time on that when we get to the fall in two weeks, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, next. We have the ability to imitate him in all of his communicable attributes. This goes back to what it means to be made in the image of God, but it, it, it implies that we have the ability to imitate him in all of his communicable attributes. Look at Ephesians 5:1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. It's a command. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Um, look at 1 Peter 1:16 1, since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy there's a responsibility that we have in being made in the image of God not only do we owe our allegiance to him and do we owe um, um, do we belong to him but we have the abilities given to us the ability to imitate him in some capacity um, imitate him in all of his communicable attributes now here's the last one that sort of touches on what Doug had brought up just a minute ago, and I think is, gives us at least some ground to, to discuss. Uh, mankind is not a blight on the earth, but as God's representatives, we have the right and authority to rule over God's created order. This also means that we are to care for the things that God has entrusted to us. Look at Psalm 8, 6-8. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Um, and then you all, we also saw in, in Genesis 1, 26 and 28, that there's the same kind of. Of thing presented there, that that's the purpose for which they've been created is to have dominion. So they're not a blight on creation. But what Doug points out is absolutely true. There is a worldview that's that's pre- very prevalent in it today in our society today that would say that that man is a blight on the world. Um, I've said this. I've talked about this before, but. I, my one of my kids' favorite movies is uh, Tarzan, the cartoon version Tarzan with Phil Collins soundtrack. That one, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's why I watch it. I, lo- I like Phil Collins. Uh, so, but um, but w- the first song that's on that in that movie says uh, "Paradise." The, the line of the song is "Paradise untouched by man." All right, that, that's the line. Paradise untouched by man. The worldview that's present there is the same thing that we hear in Doug's question, the same thing that I'm trying to address here, is that the idea of a paradise is that no man has ever been there. But you have to understand this pushes back against the very notion of what it means to be created in the image of God, that man has dominion over the earth, and it was created for his ability to use it, to use the things that are here, to subdue it right? It's been created for that purpose. We've been created to use it for that purpose. So, so uh, paradise untouched by man are not two things that are biblical. They, they, those things don't go together. The idea is that mankind is supposed to come in and subdue it and, uh, and, and exercise rule and authority over it and is a, is a blessing then to creation, not a blight on creation. Now, that being said, sin also has entered the world, right? So there's some, there's some other sides to this as well. Once sin entered the world, the calculus changes a little bit. We actually can be a blight on creation if we choose to be, right? I can take that cheeseburger wrapper and I can just throw it on the ground, right? <laughs> or, or I can do all kinds of other things, right? So there's, there's sinful ways that I can use creation as well. So it's not true that just because I move into a wilderness area that it's all of a sudden better for my having been there, you know? <laughs> you're welcome, forest. You're blessed for my presence. That would have been true had we never fallen, but now that we have fallen, there are also precautions that we have to take. We have to understand our own fallenness in regards to our stewardship of creation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Questions about that? Does that address what you're, you're talking about? Yeah. Okay, now, questions, fodder for conversation in the last few minutes that we've got. Okay, how, so Doug's already mentioned one, but there's, there's others. How is modern Western culture rebelling against being made in the image of God? Based on the things that we've uncovered, how is modern culture, modern Western culture, rebelling against being made in the image of God? You say things now. Explain. Gender and sexuality was the statement explained. Right, so um, she said in gender and sexuality that it seems as though the, the prevalent worldview now or that's being pushed predominantly in our culture and in Europe is that, um, that you can choose your own uh, um, gender or gender identity or whatever, whatever the terms are. You, get, you have the privilege of choosing and it's not assigned to you by God himself and that there are many others besides male and female, Right. That's another part of that that process too. So one way in which the world around us is pushing back against what it means to be created in the image of God, spelled out plainly in Genesis, is that He created it a male and female, and it seems as though in the text that has intention of being fruitful and multiplying and fill, filling the earth for that purpose. Yep. Yes, Marilyn. Uh, a woman's uh, right, so called right to choose to abort her child. How is that pushing back against the image of God, being created in the image of God? Yes. it is not ours to make a decision for the expulsion of that child. Right. All humanity, even from the moment of conception, is made in the image of God. And so uh, it's a so so um if you notice, uh, there's nothing that grows into the image of God. Things are made in the image of God. So there's not a, there's not a pre-image of God state. Ah, oh, this will be in the image of God one day, but currently it is not in the image of God. Um, that's, that is one of the reasons, by the way, um, that I think it's dangerous to say the image of God is only one of those characteristics. Um, because if you say, okay, being made in the image of God is, is strictly dominion how much dominion over the earth does a does a fetal fetal tissue have right would be the argument um if however you say it's actually all of these things together that um that baby has those things uh, as the you know, soul has has all of those things yeah so i think it's i think it's dangerous to to isolate one of a couple yeah you think Yeah, so that, that's one, That's another one, is that animals are slowly being elevated to this kind of lofty position where they're, uh, t- there was that, uh, it was several, uh, maybe, maybe a year ago or two, uh, where was it Harangay, the gorilla? What, what was his name? Morambe. What, what was it? Morambe? Harambe. There it is. Marangay, Morambe, Harambo, <laughs> Jimbo, jumbo, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and had the kid, right? And they put the gorilla down. Yeah. And everybody was kind of like, well, how dare you put the gorilla down? And I'm sorry. He had an image bearer in, in his hands. Um, and that gorilla was, was going down. Yeah. It, it, it was a what? It was a cranky old silverback. <laughs> 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 I mean, like a big gorilla. We get cranky. Cranky old, just that's surgery that's down. That's <laughs> down. Uh, Kathy. Mm. And they've tried twice using one, and then two, and now I guess in a month we're going to do it again. But, I mean, they're just throwing them away. Mm. So, and even if they have a baby, they've got ten left over. Um, what do they do with that? Yeah, we, um, there's a, there is a lot of need in the Christian ethics community to explore a lot of the new biomedical sciences, especially in regards to fertilization, in vitro fertilization and things like that, because there's a lot of things that we have not thought about before, and, and the, the West, America, has become like this pioneer, or this, this kind of wild, wild West for all of these experimental procedures, and there's a lot of ethical dilemmas that people that, I have very dear friends of mine that are that are lovely people and they're, they're solid believers, but went through in vitro fertilization several times. And I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes if you, if you had IVF, but um, went through it several times. And there are some extreme ethical complications that you get into in the midst of that that they were really kind of troubled by um, and found out along the way. Like for instance, when the egg is fertilized, uh, any doctors in the room, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But uh, when the egg is, is fertilized in the tube, they sort of rate it on a scale of like A to, to D, I think. And the A's are the ones that have the most likely chance of actually making it and, and actually making it to a child. And then there's uh, B's and C's and D's on down. And the ones that are C's and D's, they're definitely discarded and kind of and thrown away. And so it, it presents these, these incredible ethical dilemmas of, What is that? And, you know, is it actually conceived? Is it not? I mean, it just really does create a ton of ethical dilemmas. And I think a lot of Christian couples are going into that because, you know, we can have a baby and I I certainly can understand that. At the same time, a lot of times they they step into something and they don't realize all all the implications or all the complications that are present there. Yeah, Blake. Yeah, that's an interesting one I hadn't even considered is the 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 fact that we kind of idolize the body and it's become this airbrushed or desired to be airbrushed, you know, thing it's incredible. Bob. Yeah, go ahead. I'm in mean, the present day concentration camps. Yeah. In China. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Chinese concentration camps uh 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 one-child chi- one policy now? I think it's a two-child policy. Yeah. Actually, that didn't work. It's supposed to be unlimited. Oh, they are unlimited it? Well, it's not public yet, but when they went to two, they assumed people would have children, and they didn't. Bob has insider information, in case y'all didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, could tell you, he could tell you, but then he'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. 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 Well, there will be a day of rejoicing when they do drop that policy because it's a, it's a, that is a blight on society. Um, How how should we think about death with dignity laws? How should we think about death with dignity? I put that there just to say, like, the the topic itself. How should we think about death with dignity? I think there's differences in how people go
1: about it. Like, if someone wants to go home and, like, not be hooked up to something and just go as the Lord allows them, it's okay. different than someone saying, I'm going to do this to
0: make myself... Right. There, there's a conflation, I think, when we talk about death with dignity in the church culture as um, do not resuscitate versus yeah. versus what death with dignity actually is. Death with dignity is I've been diagnosed with a terminal illness and I've got four months to live. I'm just going to go to my doctor and have him give me a lethal cocktail and go to sleep peacefully and not have to suffer the pain. Right? right. Those, are, those are two different different processes. Um, the iron lung or the life support and all of those things exist because we're made in the image of God, right? Um, I don't yet know. I'm sure it's been done. I don't yet know of a dog on life support. I'm sure there's some dog out there that's been put on life support, and Fluffy's been brought back, you know, or whatever. But in general, that does not happen. Right? It's because we're made in the image of God that we have those things at the same time if somebody's living just on a machine. That's one thing to consider. If somebody's just, their whole life is just on the machine and they can't exist without it, is that life? And most of the time, at some point, you're going to have to say it's not. Um, You know? And so that's one thing. But death with dignity, where you have eternal illness and you go and get a lethal cocktail. Say again how do i define it or how does because society you say this is life right heart beating right and those are those are i would say those are uh, questions that we've had to deal with in the last you know i don't know we'll say even 100 years that we hadn't had to really think about before because we haven't had the equipment that we've got today so we to 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 keeps me yeah, scientists are all the time talking, doctors are all the time talking now about what is brain death. How, how do we know when somebody is actually brain dead? Um, because so many people now have come back from a kind of a sort of a no electrical signals or whatever, all, you know, back to life. All of a sudden I had actually a person in our in previous church that that actually happened to. They had no signs of life in their brain and they had taken a four-wheeler and run it straight into a house and basically just shattered his spine and all kinds of other things. And they were like, he's he's brain dead. He'll he'll never live again. And then within a couple of days, he was back and talking, and and it was just kind of a sort of a an anomaly. So there, there's a lot of questions, of like, what does that actually mean? You know, that we have to wrestle with. Yeah. But death with dignity laws, right? Those are pushing back against the image. Um, what attitude? What should what should our attitude be toward issues surrounding? Uh, our dominion of the earth, like climate change, save the whales, Uh, pollution, those kinds of things, what should our position be? What should our attitude be? This is certainly a fireball that we've got two minutes to answer. Go ahead. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that's why I asked the question. I, I'm assuming these are opinions. <laughs> so, go ahead.
1: I, I think we have to think of it in terms of how, how do we love our neighbor? It, it is an issue of stewardship, right? And it's not a you know I think about like when you when you're taught camping or whatever, it's like leave the place, but you know just how you found it, you know, yeah. or better. You know, this idea that um, when when I do history, I try to tell people of like we can't do. Yeah. Um, but the same type, we can't have chronological snobbery the other way, or like, well, we deserve this stuff now because we're alive. Right. Who cares what happens when our kids are. You know, and so That's just right. thinking about if we frame it in a love your neighbor sort of way, instead of getting into the, oh, what does that mean economically or what does that mean politically or this or that, I think we all agree that we should take care of stuff and not be selfish. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Jen. Yeah, so no, I think we Last
1: yeah <laughs> and, then, and good stewardship and responsible right here responsibility and then also understanding this is not final this yeah is not eternal right it's not the way it will be forever. right right so we hold it i think in that in that battle. yeah that's right go ahead bob last comment
0: I mean, when you, if you're over there for a little bit of time, you, when you blow your nose, it's different. <laughs> just, just saying. There's, there's stuff floating in the air. All right. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's crazy. So yes. Yeah, it's a great visual. Let's end on that. All right. Uh, all right. Thanks for being here tonight. I don't pretend to have solved all of the issues that are there, but you can see, even with just the questions, there are lots of things to consider when it comes to being made in the image of God, what that means for me, how am I being an image bearer of God as it going to the world around me? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a big issue. Um, next week is our um, members meeting, and then the week after that will be uh, the last meeting for two weeks. I'll be out of the country after that, so... Uh, so, it'll be family, uh, sorry, members meeting, then Bible study the following week, and then I'll be out of the country for two weeks. All right? So, let's pray, and then we'll go. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for a time to be together and just think deeply about the scriptures and what they mean and what impact they have on our life, and um, and, and and Lord, how great it is that we're we're made in your image and you care for us as our creator, that you call us to yourself, that you... Even desire a relationship with us that you care about us, um, that you tell us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Um, these things are, are what privileges we have um, from being made in your image, and we're grateful for it. I pray that you would um, use these truths of Scripture to impact our lives, so that when we go to the world around us, um, that we're we do love our neighbors, that we are good to the the things that you've given to us, and that we do think of everything that you have. Um, put on our table as things that we have dominion and stewardship over and responsibility and that we're going to be held accountable for these things. Um, We thank you for giving us that truth and I pray that you would help it to make it real for us as it sets on our heart in Jesus name. Amen.